everyone has their own separate theories and hypotheses. And I, I think our going in assumption is that it's a sort of dark art. And everyone knows we have to ask more, ask more questions. They just don't know the right questions to ask. As soon as anything gets hard, it's, hey, I got this bright new thing. Oh, that was fun. Let's do that. <laughs> Welcome to The Common Creative. My name is Chris Meredith. And my name is Paul Fairweather. And today's guest is Michelle Locke. Michelle is a, a coach, a facilitator, a trainer in creativity and the neuroscience of creativity. We've had a very, very interesting discussion, Chris, today. Yeah, it's, it's a fascinating fact. She, she described herself as firstly a ballet dancer, someone who seems to have creativity in her very bones, and yet she qualified as an accountant and became a consultant. And, and now is a, is a thought leader in the world of how science and creativity intersect. And it's an area that not many people dare to question because surely creativity is all art and not science. So it's fascinating to learn that there are rules, there are parts of the brain that are more creative than others, and there are ways of accessing your creativity with, and there was an amazing phrase, Paul, what kind of questions access the new creativity in the brain? They're the metacognitive questions, Chris. Metacognitive questions. If you want to find out about metacognitive questions, stay with us and we'll hear from Michelle in a couple of seconds. Yes, no, it's uh, it really is great. And it's a very different episode this time where the tables are turned and Michelle has been questioning Chris and I. So uh, we don't, we normally get to ask all the questions, but this is a very different episode. So um, welcome, Michelle. Thank you very much. Great to be here. Great to have you on the show, Michelle. Thank um, you. Thank you. So, Michelle, we're, we're intrigued to hear about your expertise in creative thinking. Um, mm. So, um, you've been doing this for many years, uh, working with with uh, corporations. Yeah, I have. I have, and uh, recently we've forayed into working with the leaders in education as well in schools uh, with our schools of substance program. So, yeah, it's it's exciting stuff. Now, your special interest is the neuroscience of creativity. And, and as you know, Paul and I have been exploring this world of creativity for some time together. And everyone has their own separate theories and hypotheses. And I, I think our going in assumption is that it's a sort of dark art. And the digger we deep, the more we'll find out. But your perspective is a scientific perspective. Is, is it true that is it all about science? And if so, is there such a thing as real creativity? Yeah, yeah. Look, it's a great question. Um, we have some very new science um, from a, a professor at UCLA called Mark Beeman, and he did some research around the concept of the aha moment. And we know that that aha moment is like a non-linear moment in the brain. We have this, this sort of the prefrontal cortex, the intelligent part of the brain, and we think that that's where we're going to get all our our sort of intellectual thinking and smart thinking from. And to some degree that's right, but it's actually very limited. And this is part of the new science as well that we've, you know, discovered. In fact, it's very limited and it's a linear processor. So what we generally consider to be the intelligent part of our brain thinks in a very linear way, A plus B plus C equals D. And it's very good at working out, well, if C is missing um, and I put C in, then I can solve the problem. But when it comes to creative thinking or creative insight or creativity, what you need is a non-linear connection in the brain. That actually happens sort of outside that prefrontal cortex and it's where one previously unconnected idea comes with another previously unconnected idea comes with another 
you know, it's this non-linear process. So what Mark Demon, uh, sorry, Mark Beeman managed to do, he did a, um, an experiment and essentially discovered the four things that need to be present in the brain for the aha moment to occur. And we know that in that moment, it's a very motivational moment. I'm, I'm sure you've experienced it, um, but I'm sure you've also experienced it in the middle of the night, walking the dog, in the shower, getting your coffee, not when you're thinking about the problem. So those four things are that we have to be in what we call a slightly happy state or a reward state, so not in a, uh, an emotional negative state. So the brain has to be open to that. We need a quiet brain, which is very difficult for us as human beings because even when we are mind-wandering, our default network systems are very, very busy, you know, and even when we're sleeping, they're very busy. So we need a quiet brain. We need to be inwardly focused. And what I mean by that is, you know, when you ask someone a question and they stop and they either look up or they close their eyes, they're trying to get to limit the amount of data coming in so that they can almost go inside their brain to look for these relatively weak signals that need to connect to solve the problem. And the fourth one is they need to be not thinking directly about the problem, which we know through experience, but is a bit counterintuitive. Knowing that, what we can do uh, is we can set up sort of artificially, you know, my, my expertise is, a, is, is as a coach um, and, a, and a leadership development professional, I suppose, communication leadership. We can almost artificially set up the conversation and the questioning to, to replicate that environment in the brain. So we're shortcutting the possibility of someone having that creative problem-solving moment. Michelle, I'm going to jump in. Mm. I think speaking to Paul and I, who kind of love and enjoy the whole world of creativity, everything you've said or reported from Mark Bowman sounds very, uh, it sounds spot on. I think I'm sure Paul and I connect with that idea. That's how we get our ideas and so on. If you're talking to a commercial business or an educational organisation and you start suggesting that, a great way of getting creative ideas is to not think about the problem, is to kind of be inwardly focused, is to be happy. It sounds like kind of maybe you've been smoking the wrong kind of cigarettes or something. <laughs> how, do they, how do they react to this kind of crazy talk, if I can put it that way? Yeah, yeah. So, well, firstly, um, uh, I probably wouldn't go there till we're in the workshop. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> because there's an awful lot of human science that we, we explore as a foundation before we get to here. So when we're looking to develop mastery in communication, and to me mastery means that I as a leader can not do all the hard lifting, that I can help someone else solve their own problems because as a coach, of course, we believe people have the solutions predominantly. Um, and, and to me, and I think this is where probably we differ quite a lot in the way coaching is is trained. People often co uh, train coaching as an event. We sit down, we have an hour, we go through a four-step process and we make sure we have a, an action at the end. I think that's no longer useful um, because we do live in a, a world where we need to think differently. And so we start with the human and, and understanding what's going on for that human and then we have a toolkit of um strategies and, and an understanding of the brain and, a, and a, a skill of powerful questioning that, that can help lead them, 
you know, to where they need to go. So, in fact, they love it because one of the struggles is how do we get people to think for themselves? How do we get people to feel confident to solve their own problems? How do we get people to, and, and a lot of leaders, of course, give the answers all the time, which is in very uncreative. <laughs> and um, it's, in their defence, I've been there myself. I used to work in big businesses and you get promoted by having the answers, don't you? And then one day you find yourself in a job where your job is to ask questions rather than to answer the questions. Yes. And it's it's tough to do. It's tough to let go of that knowledge. Mm. And sometimes even asking questions that you know the answer to and you think, I'm not going to give away that. I'm going to see what the other person says. What I was going to ask is, do you any any practical tips? How do you do this for real? Mm. Um, because it, the theory sounds good and I can imagine people rushing back to their offices or desks or their home office and just getting back onto their emails and getting back into the kind of frontal cortex mode. Mm. Right. So I guess there's a couple of beliefs that I have and that is that you certainly cannot teach or take on this kind of way of working in a half-day workshop. You know, we can give you some awareness, we can give you some science, we can do that sort of thing. But we work with people over longer periods of time. My, my, even just the foundation program, which is, which is conversations of substance, is a four-day program, you know, or a, or a nine-week um, virtual, you know, small gaps. Because you're literally getting people to rewire the way they're used to showing up. And as you say, it's very difficult because we've been role-modelled and taught that we need to have the answers, but the world, you know, we live in these very complex adaptive systems now and you just, there is no linear answer. In fact, what I see in politics everywhere at the moment, it's the most obvious one. Climate change is another one. Everyone's trying to solve these problems in a linear way. Here's the problem. Uh, but Michelle, just, just on that, I'm interested and I suppose it's for personal interest, maybe Chris as well. Do you, do you ever do half-day workshops? Uh, and if so... You know, how do you, what, what expectations do you set for your yeah, client? Sure. Look, I do. And, and what, what I've learned over the years is not to try and say, let's jam four days into one. So I'll be very clear about here's all the bits that make up this whole. And here's the bit we can focus on. Now, interestingly, um, and I haven't actually answered your question, Chris, which I will now, we, you know, I've certainly done workshops on just this piece because leaders do know and everyone knows we have to ask more questions. They just don't know the right questions to ask. Mm. And we will go to those very leading, as you say, you've asked a question, I know the answer. The secret here is to ask people questions that neither of you know the answer to. And I can demonstrate this in a moment. What we know is that for the, the formula, which is what you're asking, Chris, like how do you practically do this? Essentially what we have to do, the, the first piece is to be really clear on defining the issue and the problem because people will come to you saying, here's my problem, but I guarantee you when you know what you're doing, it doesn't take long to understand that, in fact, that's not the real issue. Mm. And we spend a lot of time in organisations solving the wrong problems. Yeah. So, so, you know, one of the first things we teach is around how to start powerfully, how to, how to be able to truly take that time to understand what is the real issue and what's the outcome we're looking for, what are we trying to work through. And, again, leaders will often jump in with the first little piece and go, oh, I know what you need, I know what you want, 
And often that's not the case. And so I think we actually create a very negative creative cycle because the leaders jump in, they they bring in their traditional thinking. It's not new. We can't solve, you know, our, what's that that quote? We can't solve the problems with the same thinking we created them. Yeah, yeah. So what we have to do is, to, is so we've got to start powerfully and make sure that we, we have bedded down the real issue, but then we need to do divergent thinking. We have to find a way to get people to go outside their current thinking because as humans, our protection mechanisms will keep us in our own space. You know, they'll keep us in our own thinking. And so we've got to do that divergent thinking, very difficult for us to do on our, on our own. Then we have to do convergent thinking. And when we do this, this exercise that I was telling you about in the, in the room, people are fascinated by the randomness of the process and yet the deep thinking that occurs and the new thinking. There are three things you want from any interaction, conversation, meeting, planning session. They are some new thinking something we haven't thought about before, maybe a new perspective or a whole new thing. We want to know what our next steps are and we want to make sure that that action gets taken. And I refer to that as the trifecta. So, uh, you know, we, we get to the end of everything and go, right, time for a trifecta. You know, where's our thinking now? What's new? Because there's always something new. What I would, if you've asked the right questions, that is, what I would say is um, that, we also need to understand that we can't always solve problems in one conversation. It's one conversation at a time. Mm-hmm. Michelle, I'd, I'd love to know what led you to this point, because it's a very interesting blend of things that you're bringing to the world, the kind of this, this, this strange word creativity, which is a sort of, I think people have an ambivalent relationship with creativity in the world of work anyway. Um, and, and you're applying science and now some really, really, powerful frameworks like you know it takes time you don't have to solve every problem those kinds of things um i'd love to hear more about your story what what led you to this point what what is your background Mm, sure um well interesting i i I started in the world of ballet um of course see you (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and and i then I, i grew up in a little country town and and decided i needed to go out into the big world. So I decided to do teaching. And at that point, dance became a board subject. So I was a high school teacher teaching dance and my other um, strength and love, bizarrely enough, was accounting. So I've always kind of said I was a creative accountant and a structured dancer. <laughs> so, so for five years, I I, I did that. Um, wasn't really getting what I wanted from that Um to cut a long story short, I sort of left. I found myself in in the original Suncorp in a HR type role. Then I had eight years in Price Waterhouse Coopers, and it was when I was in PwC that I went to a women in business lunch. This woman had done this coaching course, and coaching really wasn't the thing it is now back then. And I was just lucky. I really think it was lucky to hear about this woman who did this program that was based on neuroscience. And that was with David Rock, who is now the, he has established the Neuroleadership Institute in the States. He's from Australia originally. Um, and this whole 
area of neuroleadership where we look at the discoveries of social cognitive neuroscience and how do we apply them to the way we communicate and, and live our lives. So I sort of forayed off into that and I, and I, and I got interested and I, and I kept going and, and I, I left PwC thinking I'll be a coach and in the end that worked out. Uh, and then, um, yeah, it's just kind of grown from there. And I'm really now very passionate and, and focused and, and I've developed all of my own ideas and, and IP and thinking and frameworks around this because I think I sort of call myself a, a neurotranslator. I'm not, a, I'm not a qualified neuroscientist, but it, what I find is when we can teach simple frameworks and simple ideas about neuroscience, it's enough for people to do that kind of diagnosis in the moment. You know, we spend a lot of time being frustrated with the other humans in our world and we really got to look at them and say, okay, normal human behaviour, but not useful. So, so what can I do in this moment to come in and support this person? Because when people are in that non-useful state, the act of creativity is actually not humanly possible in the brain. Mm. That's, that's great. I, I, I sort of know kind of story, some of that story, Michelle, because uh, <laughs> we've known each other for, for many years. Yeah. Um, I'm curious, you, you, um, you mentioned earlier that you've developed a set of cards and have an app coming out mm. uh, around uh, questions. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and you said you were going to ask us two questions or ask us a question that we couldn't answer. Is that related to your cards or is that? Um, it is, it is. So let me tell you about that. So. This again, this sort of came about from wanting to replicate in my training room this idea of metacognitive thinking that leads to creative insight. And I just want to make the point that I believe that there's a that creativity is the part where we come up with something new, innovation is what we do with it. Yeah, yeah. and I think that's really important for organizations to understand that. You can be as creative as you like, but what you do with that is 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 the thing. And often you may have people in your um, teams who are better at coming up with the new ideas, but pretty ordinary at doing something with them. And this is where teamwork, you know, can come in. Of course, um, one of the other things we offer is brain mapping, where um, we use um, it's it, it's a tool called Prism Brain Mapping. It's the world's first neuroscience based tool. Um, so quite different to a Myers-Briggs or a DISC or whatever, but it is about looking at how are you wired and therefore what are you energised by? And there is no point, like I'm very, very energised by innovation and analysis. One's left, one's right brain, so they compete sometimes. But there are people that we discover who actively avoid the process of innovation and yet they're probably really good implementers. <laughs> You're smiling, Paul? <laughs> oh, no, I'm smiling because Chris and I are both uh, idea people and hopeless mm. implementers. Implement. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, 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 yeah, what we, but what you have to understand in that context is that it's not that you can't implement, it's, it's that you need to understand it's not your motivational drive. And so when you're tired or whatever, where will you fall back into? And this is what I do. I fall back into, oh, let's create something new. Yes. So, because we know about ourselves, and I think this is why it's important, you know, this 
this level of self-awareness around your own capacity for creativity or not. People who aren't energised by creativity doesn't mean they're not creative, but it does mean it takes them a lot of energy. Yeah, so it's a little bit like the introvert-extrovert thing where you get your energy. And, and I certainly know that. Yes. Yes. I, I, uh, I think Chris and I both have the uh, shiny, thing, shiny thing syndrome. Mm. Where as soon as anything gets hard, it's, hey, i got this bright new thing. Oh, that was fun. <laughs> Let's do that instead. Yeah, so back to the cards. Yeah, yeah, after the cards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm excited. So, Something new. I'm excited by this. I don't know what yeah, it is. I'm already yeah. excited. <laughs> so the point I wanted to make with the cards, I've got them here, um, and as I said, they're going onto an app, is that, first of all, to expand people's vocabulary around the concept of a metacognitive question. You know, what is a metacognitive question? Well, it's a question we don't know the answer to. And remember I said that the fourth part was not thinking directly about the problem. So it's asking questions not about the problem but about the person's thinking about the problem. Okay, so that's the first thing. Yep. Um, the second thing is I wanted them. I wanted to show that the question matters less than the time and space to think and the kind of question, and that people's brains will go where they need to. So I wanted them wanted the questions to be random. So the way that we can demonstrate this, if you're up for it, is for one of you to have a, a an issue or something that you'd like to work through. Chris has got a lot of issues. <laughs> I'll, I'll do a little bit of a demo of, of um, starting powerfully. I won't spend a lot of time on that. And then you guys can see here I've got a bunch of cards, right, and I've, I've shuffled them so they're random. Pick a card, any card. Pick a card, any card. When I, what I do say to people in the room is you have to ask the question at the front. You can't say, oh, I don't like that question. So I force you to just accept whatever question comes and we just observe where people's brains go. After we've asked, and today if we maybe ask five or six questions, I won't respond to those. It's just think them through, put it out there. I'll wait till I think you finished. We'd ask the next one. And then I'll wrap it with that trifecta, those three questions around what are you now thinking? And hopefully, and what we find in probably 99.9% of the time, is that there is something new. Because we, this is the divergent thinking part and then the, the trifecta is the convergent thinking part. So we're really putting science behind the creative process. Okay. Well, actually, uh, Chris and I are, uh, are writing a program together about ideas and stories that matter, uh, mm. powerful presentations. So that's the issue. So we can both answer the questions. We've got a, a shared issue, mm. uh, which is going quite well, actually. We're doing quite good on the implementation. <laughs> Uh, although we haven't started implementation yet. <laughs> it's going, it's going exactly. very well. <laughs> all right, all right. So, so, so give us a question. Well, well, what I want to know first is what is it you need to work through? Because remember, there's no point in doing this if you haven't actually bedded down what it is you're trying to resolve or focus. On. Well, I would say, uh, and Chris, correct me, but one, of, one of the things we're dealing with is uh, how we deliver it, whether it's live exactly. or whether it's a... Um, a pre-recorded thing, or pre-recorded thing, small groups, big um, groups, yeah, or yeah. A, or or a, or a crossover. So that's that's the sort of scenario. Okay, and and what specifically around that do you want to work through and resolve? I, I, I let me jump in. I, I would say it's about how to balance, make it easy and accessible for people to buy, but providing enough depth and content that it's worth their while. Right, and. What thinking have you done around that already? Like where are you at in your thinking around that already? Well, one of the things is that we, we know that people are very time poor and, mm -hmm. 
you know, the response we get is from a lot of courses that might run over, you know, five or six weeks, an hour or two a week, is I don't have time for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's some of the thinking we'll be doing. And so we've been looking at some options where the same material is delivered in, in very small, you know, five-minute sound bites with backed up material and stuff. So that's some of the thinking that we've been doing. I suppose there's the two polarised yeah. versions yeah. of it. So what's the real dilemma? Um, <laughs> we tell you a dilemma. If we solve it, we won't get any questions. <laughs> All right. So is the uh, Maybe it's not. Uh, I yep. could, can jump. I thought that's a brilliant question. You could tell that neither of us could answer that very easily. Mm. Um, I, I think it, it maybe it isn't a dilemma. It's that we, we know it's the right way forward. It's just neither of us have done that before. We're much more used to a big block of time where Paul or I will hold court, people write down notes, and that's how we, we're supposed to work. And maybe it's not a dilemma. Maybe it's just that we haven't done it before. Mm. All right. I would like to, in the real situation, spend a bit more time around that, but let's jump in. Yeah, sure, fantastic. So I'm just going to ask. I, I feel like we've, we've done, you've done great. I've really it's been really helpful. <laughs> we haven't even started yet. <laughs> All right, so I'm just going to ask the questions that are here. So the first question is, so what do and don't you have control over? Uh, people's responses. Mm-hmm. What I say, what would you say, Chris? Uh, we've got total control over the content. And the format, we haven't got control over the time of our, of our clients. We haven't got control over, um, over their needs, the way they see it. Mm-hmm. Anything else? No, that'll do for the moment. <laughs> <laughs> what haven't you explored yet? Um, what haven't we explored, Chris? We, it's, it's interesting. We, we, we have, haven't explored anything face-to-face, um, because we were assuming this is all about delivery online. So that's something we haven't explored. Uh, And we haven't also explored, um, you know, taking the content and doing it um, individually uh, because it's been a a team, a tag team thing, Mm -hmm. Uh, which is probably why we haven't explored the face-to-face, given that Chris is in Sydney and I'm in Brisbane and we've never actually physically met. We've never been, the only room we've ever been in together has been the Zoom room. Okay. So what's the real issue? Is that the next question? Yep. What's the real issue? How about this? The the real issue is this is the first time Paul and I have built a program together. We've got no uh, kind of, uh, no rule book for that. And so we're making up the rules for working together at the same time as working together. Mm. And and I I would add to that, the the real issue is that Chris and I have a a very easy rapport. Uh, One of the reasons we don't really actually want to meet in person, just in case that gets destroyed. Um, But um, we have an easy rapport and we often get feedback from our guests that, you know, you guys are great together. And so the real issue is us trying to take that and sort of codify it, uh, maybe commercialise it. Uh, I think, in, and, and really trying to capture uh, that sense of banter in exploring this passion that we both have, which is around ideas and stories. Mm-hmm. Next question. Yeah. What self-talk might be getting in the way of moving forward? Uh, 
Note, note to Zane, chop that bit of silence out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think it's great. It shows it was a great... No, the silence, no, the silence no, is really important question. because the silence means you're going even deeper to think, and this is what this is about. Yeah. I, I wonder if it's that... Paul, it, it goes back to this point. We haven't produced a commercial product together before. It's been easier, though, because we've been doing this podcast and we just chat to people and have a laugh. And it's 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 low risk. And when you try and launch something to market to clients and so on, then the stakes go up. Mm. So I think it's about risk. Um, yeah, that's yeah. what I think it is. Uh, and, and I would add, and, and it seems, and it comes back to the points that you made earlier about the prism and the implementer, is that Chris and I, whilst we haven't done anything commercially together, we've actually started a couple of times and haven't successfully completed. Because they're not <laughs> completed. Um, and so I suppose, you know, some of you know, the negative self-talk I have is um, I'll be actually going to, you know, see this in, you know, to fruition. That's the first thing. And the second thing is this thing about, again, even if we do get fruition, are we going to go, well, that was fun, what's, what's next? And rather than, you know, focusing on it and delivering it. Because, uh, and that is sort of self-talk. On the, on the flip side of that, uh, Chris and I have challenged each other, uh, maybe not quite as deeply as a great set of cards that you have, <laughs> by, by questioning each other constantly. And we think that we've really come up with some really uh, different IP uh, to approach this idea of ideas and stories in, in, in presentations or pictures, whatever it is. Mm. And we've really, you know, we've really, it's not, you know, they're, they're, on the surface there's stuff that both of us have that have, you know, put into the pile, but we've really gone, yeah, okay, but that's not good enough. You know, how do we connect this and how do we do that? So, so I think that on the positive side, um, is that and we really both really want to get that out into the world. Mm. So I'm going to actually jump in and ask you, Paul, in one sentence, after you did that thinking just there, what yes. self-talk is getting in the way? What self-talk is getting in the way? It's getting in the way. So I'm asking you the question again, but I'd like a succinct answer. Not too good at succinct. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> Um, or just if you th- if you're listening, we'll, to we'll, we'll we'll this ever this way never see the light of day. Yeah, nice, good. Okay. Here's the last question, and then we'll go to wrap. How's that? Okay, fantastic. So the last question is: What is the most important thing to you in this? Getting it out into the world. I. I it wasn't the first thing. It is important to, to get it out of the world so they don't just end up talking to each other. Um, I think it's kind of keeping enjoying the journey and everything Paul and I have done together so far has been huge fun and very rewarding. And um, I think it's very important that even if it, we change to a more commercial type, that it's still fun. That's what's important to me. Mm, nice. All right. So we're going to wrap this now. So that's been our divergent thinking. And I'm going to ask those three questions, which is the convergent thinking now to take us forward. So the first question is, what is now your new thinking around this activity that you're pursuing? Uh, For mine, it's, I suppose, a a regeneration of 
of thinking, but it's, it's what Chris has just said about keeping it fun and mm-hmm. keeping it light. Mm-hmm. And both he and I uh, have found a magic together of doing this podcast. And if we had to do it individually, probably never would have happened. So, and it has been a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so I, for me, my thinking is, you know, not a, what, what worrying about what it's going to look like, but continuing to have the fun. So. How about you, Chris? What's emerged for you? For me, I'm thinking just knock it out there because I I made a point about risk and I'm thinking, well, what is the risk? Sometimes you you feel the risk. The rest of the world doesn't know or care about it. And so is there really a risk there? So I'm I'm thinking we should sort of um, just just get on with it. And and it's sometimes... it can be very rewarding, even if it's not perfect. Get it out there. We'll learn loads from, uh, I love that little phrase, uh, ready, fire, aim. It's kind of, it's a great way of making new things happen. Don't worry, to, don't, don't worry about getting it perfect. Get it out there, learn, move on, enjoy the journey as well as enjoy the results. Nice. So what's your next steps? Our next steps is to do some recordings. We've pretty well got the, 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 the curriculum fleshed out. And so we're going to start recording on Thursday. So that's our next steps. Okay. And will anything get in the way? What might get in the way of that happening? You need to be aware of. Nothing's going to get in the way. It doesn't matter if we go to lockdown (laughs) because we're going to be virtual. (laughs) Um, We've got no workbook for that day either. So um, nothing's going to get in the way. All right. There you go. Done. Well, Michelle, thank you very much. That's fantastic. Uh, uh, please send us an invoice. It was so good. <laughs> <laughs> the idea of the app is that, um, you know, people can carry it with them, uh, the, the basic questions. But what I've also done is created packs of when my team's thinking is stuck, uh, when we've just had a critical incident, and it forces the group to sit down and ask themselves, it could be two or three, it could be ten, whatever they want. It might be just one question to help them focus and think a little bit outside the box, particularly if they're in that sort of um, fearful threat state where their brain isn't going to go even into the prefrontal cortex, let alone into the wider brain. Um, And it just helps people think a little outside, have a bit of insight, and then they've got something new to work with. Mm. Fantastic. Mm. Michelle, if I could just just give you a thought in in response to that. I'm, I'm sure an app and some cars will help, the world will help people. But there's a real beauty and a real power in having someone, a live person, asking the question and then allowing that space for, for the brain Absolutely. to kick in. And because yeah. I, th- I think what can happen with you, if you look at a question on a card, you go, so what might be getting in the way? Oh, yeah, well, I'm, uh, you know, nothing's there. And you just kind of move on. You don't really. So let me qualify there. Yeah, let me qualify there that that is an activity to demonstrate what happens in the brain. So when we're teaching the idea, and, and it's a, it's designed to increase the vocabulary of questions to understand what a metacognitive question is and to understand that you don't need to get all hung up even about the question. You just need to be really curious. And there are a whole bunch of skills that sit around that, of course. You know, that that's not, you know, yes, we can. And it sort of came a little bit from Paul too saying, do you know, do we do smaller workshops? Well, I've certainly done workshops on that. Then we go into, now let's put the cards away. And now let's work through a process. And there's things like the way we listen, what we're listening for, um, the way we feedback and reflect, the way we start powerfully. And, you know, there's a whole lot that sits around that. But what I love about that exercise 
well, you, uh, you, you answered. Like, what did you now understand about the brain from doing that exercise? What was your experience? But my experience, I was going to ask you about this, was it felt quite intense and quite high pressure. Mm. And I wonder if that was all frontal, that felt like the front of my brain processing, asking, churning through it. Um, and I was actually wondering if there was going to be something much more meditative and something much more kind of, um, how do you feel about this? What, what else do you, so something that would kind of ask your brain to wonder rather than go, what's getting in the way? What is how do you react to that? Is that is that yeah, fair? Yeah. So again, random questions. In the real world, yes, you would. You'd, you'd, you'd get to an answer and you'd go, oh, that's interesting. Tell me more about that. What's the impact of that? And you would pursue it. So it was a demo. But what, what really it does demonstrate is that you can go, you take your thinking deep, deeper, faster. So we can then start working with the real stuff if that makes sense. Um, and you would never ask in the real situation, you know, um, you know, 25 metacognitive questions in a row. Um, but it's, it, it really gives people an insight, pardon the pun, to the need to ask a very different kind of question to stimulate some thinking so we've got something to work with. Because if you're asking people questions and they're firing back the answers, we're going over old ground. Yeah. Yeah, listen, what, what, I, what I took from it was exactly what Chris said, but also at a deeper level is that, as you talked about earlier, that, you know, a harm moment mm. of, of going, yeah, actually, no, I don't know the answer there in my prefrontal cortex. Mm. And it's that thing of, yeah, actually, that's a hard question. Well, that's, and what we do as we're doing this, whilst we're challenging each other on the content and the way of uh, progressing it, we're not actually you know, looking more broadly about the whole thing where, you know, we're in it, not working on it sort of thing. Um, yes, yes. So the way I, some I, people use the cards too, Paul, is like there's a, you read them out and if there's a question that they think, again, it's a vocabulary thing. So like one of my favourites is what's stopping you, what assumptions are you making, you know. There's lots of, and, and it's really just a vocab thing. Um, but, yes, if you're not having to think hard about the answer, you're probably not... In the in the environment for creative thinking, yeah, yeah, or you're less likely to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, look, I think that's fantastic. And look, this is this has been probably uh, our most unusual uh, interview because oh, we we're normally, the one, we're normally the ones that ask the questions. Just so you know, uh, I'm a coach. Not a, not a good idea. <laughs> not, not normally us, but it's certainly been uh, great to. Uh, have that experience of being on the other side of the uh, mm. of the machine. So, uh, Michelle, let, let me ask you a question. If, if our listeners want to find out more about you, what's the best way of tracking you down? Oh, our website is my, my company is Leading Humans uh, because I think to lead humans, you need to be a leading human. You need to know what it means to be human. Uh, so leadinghumans.com.au. Lovely, lovely. Yeah, thank you. A great pleasure to have you on the show. I, I really feel like we've you've given us a huge gift. Um, so thank you very much indeed for that. Most welcome. Yeah, thank you, Michelle. It's been great. So what, what an amazing uh, episode of The Common Creative where instead of asking our interviewee the questions that we got put on the blog, I think we learned loads, not just about creativity and meta-cognitive questioning, but also I think our own little pro- private projects Ideas and stories of Matt, I got a boost out of that. What did you think, Paul? Yeah, without a doubt. And, um, 
and a, and a timely reminder for myself to keep having fun. So uh, we, we hope you enjoyed today's episode and um, we'll see you next week. Next week on The Common Creative. See you soon.